Welcome to Alcoholics Alive. All of our hosts and guests are recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but they do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do they get paid to participate. Here are your hosts, Shank and Wayne. We're back for another episode of Alcoholics Alive. Shank, good to see you today. Good to see you, Jay Wayne. I want to, uh, we haven't gotten the word out through our Insta page. Oh, no, we're calling it the Gram. Oh, that <laughs> matches the guest today. So our our Instagram page, we're going to be throwing a challenge out to some some of our listeners, or actually all of you. If you listened to the last episode with Debbie, she was uh, requesting that we come up with a new term or slogan, if you will, for the uh, it works if you work it. So if anybody's got a, uh, we scrapped it, by the way, but if anybody's got any ideas on an actual legitimate term that could replace it works if you work it, we uh, will, we appreciate it and we'll, uh, we'll get the word out. We might even hang it on some clubhouses across the country and put your name at the bottom of it. If, uh, <laughs> yeah, really, really piss off clubhouse Joe. Uh, since he didn't come up with it. And I, I think I made the comment that I've used it like thousands of times that, that I need to make an amends to the audience. It's not true. I, I had a lapse of memory when I said that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know if Shank's buying that. Mm-hmm. But, sure. But uh, I don't remember saying it all that often. I may have said it when I was new, but it's been years since I've used it. So anyway, we, uh, we got a good episode coming up for you today or, uh, uh, let's introduce our guest, Graham. Graham, what's up today? How's it going, Graham? Hey, Wayne. Hey, Shank. How you guys doing? I'm doing great. We're doing Good. well. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Graham. Okay, well, my name's Graham. I'm an alcoholic, and my sobriety date is October the 19th. 1997 and uh i'm happy to be on the podcast today we're talking about step seven and my story is pretty unremarkable really uh i first uh, drank when i was 13 and little did i know what i'd went when out when we opened that bottle of wine behind the elementary school my friend craig and i I did not know when I when we took the cork out of that bottle what was going to happen. And looking back on it, what happened was a process that took 12 years. And at the end of that process, I guess I was convinced that I can't drink, no matter what happens. And uh, <laughs> that my life is completely miserable with or without alcohol. And, uh, and I found myself at 25 years old, curled up in a ball, after yet another binge of alcohol, after yet another humiliation, when I said I wasn't going to drink that night, and I ended up blackout drunk, and I promised myself I wasn't going to drink for two weeks before the night. It was a party, and I drank, and I had a blackout. I humiliated myself. I had a binge of drinking, and I wake up, curled up in a ball on the floor, crying like a big baby, like so many times before. My house was trashed, and I realized in that moment, I am always going to be like this. And no matter where I go and what I do, I can't stop doing this, and I wish I was dead. And I didn't realize, but that was the end of that process that started with me taking the first drink. And uh, the literature talks about a boomerang flying out a couple of times around the world. It took 12 years, and then it came back. And I got to the point, like I described on the floor, hopeless. Didn't know what to do. And that was the turning point for me. I didn't know it until years later, but I've never had a serious desire to drink since then. Something fundamentally changed inside me in that moment. And I didn't know. I didn't know I was so unhappy, but something happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'd never been to Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm Mm-hmm. So I was changed in that moment, and I didn't know that that's what had happened. And so then, you didn't make it. You didn't make it happen, or a ninety and ninety didn't make it happen. It happened. 
it just happened on the floor of the living room in the house I was living in that I just destroyed in a drunken binge. It was nothing to do with me. So I can't, unfortunately, as much as I'd like to, I can't take credit for being sober. And I have to yeah. tell you, Jerry, you know, ever since then, it's it's almost as if I can't drink even if I wanted to. It's very, very strange. Like I've, I've never really had a, a strong desire to drink in all these years. It's the thoughts pass my mind at certain times, but I've, I've really known that I just can't drink today no matter what happens. And the idea of drinking... It's like a revulsion inside me. I, I, I'm very clear. I can't do that and don't want to do that. Yeah. So, so something changed. I think it mentions that in a in a book called Alcoholics Anonymous. Similar similar wording. Yeah. There's there's that yeah. story at the end of one of the chapters. Yeah. And uh, yeah. So, and I, I do want to point out this happened to me when I was a militant atheist. I nice. just seen, I just went to college. I studied Marxism in college. <laughs> I love Marxism. Marxism's awesome because what you can do is you get you get to like burn stuff and destroy things and steal other people's stuff. It's right. fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, oh and God. you yeah, you did all that while you're from West Virginia, right? Isn't that a West Virginia accent? I'm from the mountains of West Virginia. That's right. <laughs> yes. when, <laughs> yeah okay all right <laughs> oh goodness me so militant atheists study marxism and and some power came in and started changing without you even doing it on your own right and i had no idea that this was happening i had no idea this was going to happen and uh you know i, I and and t just to be transparent over the years of the drinking i'd gotten so desperate at different times that you know, there were times I had prayed and asked asked to be helped, <coughs> prayed to God, I guess. Uh, and I tried meditation and different other things, but none of that stuff seemed to work. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I did not believe in God. And the great thing about Alcoholics Anonymous, as I understand it, is in order to get sober and to stay sober, there's no requirement for me to have a certain belief in a certain yeah. deity. It's, it's that willingness. I guess I was so much in pain that the willingness was there to, because I did start going to AA immediately after that. That's incredible. Mm. I love that. So our topic today is step seven, mm -hmm. which is humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. So, Wayne, what, what do you think about step seven? Well, I think it's a good step. It's probably a step that you have to work. I'm, uh, I've been interested to see what Graham's experience was on step seven when he first got sober. Lay it on us, Graham. The guy that saved my life is called Greg. He was 13 years sober when he saved my life. He's still sober today. He lives on the Upper Peninsula in Michigan. Uh, and he... When I came to AA, his wife pressured me. She was also in AA. She put a lot of pressure on me to ask him to be my sponsor. And I did because I wanted him to like me. I had no idea what a sponsor was. I came into the culture I come from. AA is not widely known. It's not really in the popular culture. It's really a secret organization. So mm. uh, anyway, so he was my sponsor. And he said, listen, uh, if you want to stay sober, you're going to have to do the steps and we need to start the steps immediately. And I was like, okay, I didn't know any different. I want to tell you as well, I didn't know that anyone relapsed in AA. I didn't meet anybody that had relapsed until I was, I don't know, like a year sober or something. Wow. I, yeah. I, I didn't know that was like an option. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> uh, he, he took me through the steps. He didn't really use the big book. Uh, he, he realized I was an angry atheist. So he just said, it's okay. You don't need to believe in God to get sober. But I want you to pray every day. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> so, uh, so, so we go through the steps. And then what he said, so this is step seven. So him and I did step five together. And uh, we sat in his car in the snow, smoking rolled up cigarettes. And I just looked down at the paper. And then he said, okay, so we did step five. And all he said to me after step five was, 
Graham, it's clear to me that just like myself, you really are an alcoholic. You have alcoholism. And the good news is, is that this program's guaranteed to keep people like me and you sober one day at a time for the rest of our life if we just do this program. He's, he, he, he said it's very important that you complete these steps. And he told me to go home and take one hour. And it's funny because one of the questions on, on my mind was, how long does it take to do step seven? Well, he was like, it takes an hour to do step six and seven, go home and do it and just read the book. It tells you what to do. And that's at the bottom of page 75. It tells me what to do to review the fourth and fifth step actually to review all the steps and then it says if i'm ready you know to think about step six and so step seven for me as as he explained it to me was was really to be done in that time period and it was asking god to remove from me the things that would stand in the way of me helping other people and that was really the extent of our discussion and the next, so I, I got on my knees. I remember I was crying at the time. I felt really, really bad after doing step four and five. I just realized that what a horrible human being I had become. I, I, I never wanted to do that to people. I never wanted to treat people that way. But I, I really had such a skewed view of what I was actually like. I thought I was like a nice guy that people just mm -hmm. didn't understand. And yeah. so I remember on my knees in my room, tears flowing down my face and just kind of pleading with whatever is there, not believing in God, not knowing anything about God. I would say I still don't really know a whole lot about God. I'm very cautious about making any claims about God. But I, I was crying and I just begged. I said, please, please take these things away from me. Make, make me better than this, you know, and keep me sober. And, uh, and I said the prayer. And then the next time I met him, we started to work on my eighth, eighth and ninth step. So that was really my experience with step seven, first time around. And uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's very, very, um, very similar to my experience. I mean, I first time. I mean, I guess you could argue it's the only time. But <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Maybe maybe everything after that was 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 something different, or it was maybe you know eight through twelve. But it was very similar. I did a fifth step. I shared that stuff with a guy, and he we did not have a long discussion about step seven or step six. It was hey, go back, sit quiet for a little while, think about what you did and where you want to go, and say a prayer. And I mean, there was, there was no, um, there was no, you know, at that time, no separate list of stuff. He didn't tell me a bunch of, you know, things that, you know, that didn't matter. And I went back, sat quiet by myself. I don't know if I cried like you did, but I may have, um, probably should have. I'm very dramatic. You <laughs> are dramatic. Yeah, you, you are. Um, and I think part of your problem was that first bottle of wine you had was you had, a, there was a cork in it instead of a screw cap. You got to, and that's, that's too fancy for me and Shank. You got to go to that screw cap wine. Um, right. But yeah, you know, and I, I mean, I said a prayer and, and moved on and, you know, not long after pretty quickly after that did an eighth step. I mean, and started doing a ninth step. Um, and that was, that was kind of it. And I think probably Shank has probably had a little similar experience with all that. She did stuff through mail and phone and smoke signals. Well, you know, the thing is, is what I, I don't really remember the first time I did six and seven. Like I know that I did them, but they were just, it was not this huge event. It was like, okay, you did five, you do six, seven, say the prayer and move on. Now, what I do remember is when I got out of prison and went back through the steps, I thought I had missed out on so much by being incarcerated and not being able to sit face to face with the sponsor and not being able to read through the book line by line, have it read to me, just like all these different things that I had been hearing. And 
I remember when I got to six and seven that I fell asleep, you know, within that hour. <laughs> and, you know, I remember I, I like had my book ready to go and, and I just sat on the bed and like, I fell asleep and I, I was so concerned with doing things wrong. You know, I was just like, oh, great. Now I'm going to have to like start all over. This probably start is a over. good sign. I didn't care enough. I, you know, didn't treat this as a serious life and death errand or whatever. Like, and I just remember being upset about it. And my sponsor just did not care. She was like, okay, well, let's do it. Did you say the prayer? Like, let's do the eighth step. Let's move on. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. You know, I, I did get a little offended. Luckily, I think then... I kept my mouth shut a little bit more than I do now. Maybe I've regressed a little bit in that area. Um, but, you know, I was just like, oh, okay. I guess it's not a big deal then. I guess we'll do eight and nine. Yeah. Yeah, I remember um, I was sober four or five years and, you know, was stealing money from work and was in a a, a bad relationship and, did another inventory and you know, I'll never forget when I got to the sixth and seventh step with my, with my sponsor at the time. And I made the comment to him. I'm like, you know, there's not much written in the book about step six and seven. And I said, don't we need to do, you know, I had heard people doing other stuff with the, with the step reading other books, drop the rock and I don't know the art of letting go and some other stuff path to serenity and the women's way through the steps. And I don't, you know, you get all kinds of stuff out there, but I, I literally asked him, I'm like, you know, what, shouldn't we do something else? And I mean, he made a comment that I know it sounds silly now, but it literally changed my my life and changed kind of the course of the way I thought about stuff. He said, if there was more you could do, there'd be more written. And amen. You know, the idea was to, Hey, are you willing to change? And do you want to change? And the seventh step really is a prayer. And that, right. Your job after that is to try to live for God and live a life of service and to try to practice principles. And it just simplified some stuff for me because I, I just, I mean, I, I camped out like at six and seven and I would attend these workshops on six and seven and we would analyze stuff. And I was in a thing one time where we had the whiteboard out and we were writing all kinds of stuff. And it, it just, I mean, it, it didn't hurt anybody, but it, it just, I mean, it just keeps you just caught up in stuff and it almost like freezes you up to where you can't even move forward. And I'm curious, the, it says in the seventh step on the, at the end of the prayer, we have then completed step seven. I mean, amen. Right. I mean, it's any thoughts on any of that? Well, yeah. bringing, bringing up the prayer, I, I would like to know from you guys, what does it mean to do God's bidding? Like, what is, what does that mean? So I think for me to do God's bidding means to do the actions of Alcoholics Anonymous consistently. And that's about it. And as far as, you know, lots of people get tied up in a pretzel about this, this whole scenario. So it seems to suggest in the book that I need to quit playing God. I think it says that in the third mm. step. And then, and then it says why. It says, well, it doesn't work. Mm. So let me just run this past you guys a minute. So, I, so I've said in the third step, I'm going to stop playing God because it doesn't work because my life's a disaster. I ended up in the AA. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so, so then I get to step six and seven, and I've got some sponsor that's got a huge list of character defects. And while I'm doing my inventory, they're checking check marks next to the ones I've got. And then at the end, they present me with this giant list of things that are wrong with me. And then they say, you know, you need to get this removed. And how we do that is we work on the on practicing the opposite mm. of this list. And to me, that's exactly my problem. 
If I could fix myself by practicing the opposite, why on earth would I go to Alcoholics Anonymous? I would have fixed myself and got on with my life. Yeah, I wouldn't waste my time in AA. Exactly. So, so, you know, for for me, doing God's bidding, I, I had this epiphany last year, and I realized I'm actually supposed to trust God. (laughs) right it's like so and and there's a way i can really test myself whether or not i'm I'm trusting god about a particular thing and that would be i don't really think about the thing anymore and i have peace of mind and if if i'm not trusting god i'm thinking about the thing all the time you know like right right now i've got some drama going on at work so i'm thinking about work all the time Mm -hmm. what i can do and what i need to do this and i need to do that no stop what I need to do is step back and trust God. So as far as this step goes, uh, th- this is a great joke. My sponsor at the time told me, you know, uh, he told me, you know, he asked me, Graham, have you ever had sex with a gorilla? And I said, no, I've never had sex with a gorilla. And he said, well, when you're having sex with a gorilla, it's not over until he's done. That's right. So, <laughs> How does that relate to step seven, that smutty joke? Well, how it relates to step seven for me is uh, God God took away whatever needed to be taken away to prevent me from being useful to people. So maybe like drinking, you know, uh, I don't know, being violent to people. That was a problem I had as well. That was taken away. Uh, but, But there was a lot of other stuff that was left behind, and I really wasn't happy about that. I didn't like my dishonesty. You want a list of defects? Let's look at step 10. There's four right there. Four ways that selfishness manifests in my life. So selfishness, dishonesty, resentment, and fear. My life was riddled with those things. Mm -hmm. So I did the steps and my life was riddled with those things. And I I loved it 12 and 12. If you read the 12 and 12 about step seven, what does it say? It says pain will change you. Pain will bring you to a place of humility. And for me, particularly in the areas of money and relationships, I have really a huge, a hugely high tolerance for pain. Mm. And it was only when things got really, really painful, I didn't suddenly say, okay, well, I'm going to change myself now. I was changed. And I just want to give a real quick example of this. So my wife and I, my wife got pregnant with our second child. He's 13 now. And uh, she gave birth. I was there, of course. And then my child uh, almost died and got permanent brain damage and got epilepsy. And uh, we are in the hospital and the doctors are telling us he might be in a vegetative state for the rest of his life. And it's just like an absolute nightmare. Up until that point, in, in Alcoholics Anonymous, I would describe myself as a very, very arrogant ar- alcoholic uh, member of Alcoholics Anonymous. I knew the big book inside and out. I was smarter than everyone in AA, and I was running around judging everybody's program because it wasn't as good as mine. That's really how I behaved. And I was mean to some people in AA as well about the whole thing. Angry big book guy. Can you have you got the picture in your head? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> so so what happens is we go through this experience, and all these people that I've judged and who I don't like in AA, they start coming up to the hospital and sitting with my wife and I, and my dying baby through the night, and crying and holding us, and just took us through that whole process. And I didn't decide after that, oh, I better be nice now. I'm going to change. Something changed in me. And I've Mm -hmm. never really been like that again. I have my moments. But (laughs) I I just realized like some months after that, wow, I, I, I don't feel like that anymore. I don't think like that anymore. So... There's something in that is is this idea of I'm going to change myself, which is the antithesis of AA in my mind, as opposed to I will be changed if I stay sober and keep doing these things. Now, be quiet after this. There's a phrase in the the 12 and 12 that I love, and it says, Bill Wilson writes, 
Of myself, I am nothing. The Father does the work. And I really need to, for me, I need to embrace that. God's everything or God's nothing. And my job is to do these actions in AA. We all know what they are. And to trust in God. No matter how bad it seems things are going and no matter how loud my mind is screaming, no, no, this isn't right. I need to trust that it is actually the way reality is and everything's okay. Mm -hmm. So that is not easy for a guy like me, though, believe me. Are you too so, still there? Yo, man, th hey, that was powerful, Graham. It, it, it left us speechless. <laughs> Doesn't happen much. It does not happen often, but we appreciate you sharing that with us. So the really the process of of humbly asking God to help us is it, it really is more of a process of like subtraction instead of you know trying to make things happen. Right. And tr trying to to you know to actively, you know, change. It's really it's the opposite of we give up. We've been mangled by this. We've been right, this is calling this is causing us pain. And it's just like when, when you had the experience of quitting drinking, right? Something happened that wasn't of you. It's really the very similar process with our shortcomings and our defects. When we give up, we're given power to change. We, we, we can't read that in a book. No, you, yeah. I mean, no, doesn't matter how many books you read or how many workshops you sit in or how many times you analyze something that's not going to help you to uh, be honest. Yeah, that's not going to help you to uh, treat a person differently. I mean, all that does is just freeze you up. So after our, uh, so I, last week after our episode with Debbie on step six, I went to a local meeting and there was a, uh, there was a, there was a speaker meeting. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm just going to share this because it kind of ties into what we talked about last week and kind of what you're talking about now. The, the, the person gave a very good talk, but when they went through the, they went through the steps kind of at towards the end of it. And when they got to step six and seven, they were like, well, I'm not making this up. They said, yeah, I'm living six and seven every day. And, but I guess got to apologize to everybody right now because I just continue to make mistakes and, you know, I, I do this and I act out here and I just don't even feel like qualified to talk about six and seven because I'm, you know, I, I, I continue to act out. And then, so this kind of got ties into what I've, I've been saying is that she was like frozen right there. And then she went on to talk about she made some amends. But then when she got to 10, 11, and 12, all she talked about was, I can't pray and meditate because my mind spins and uh, I sponsor some people. Oh, So that kind of gets at my point of people live like they get spun up in six and seven, whereas those steps are really activated. And they come alive by us practicing 10, 11, and 12, by constantly looking at those ourselves and turning to God for help, for power, for knowledge, helping somebody else, actions that get us out of that selfishness and self-centeredness, and then trying to practice some principles. That's how, that's how those six and seven kind of come to life. It's not by doing a daily an analysis of and my procrastination or or whatever it might be so anyway it was just interesting that and you know she thought she was doing something wrong because she couldn't talk about six and seven very good in the meeting i mean it was it was just kind of odd to me but shank what you got you um got any more experience on step seven do we not do we really you know like yeah. Not really. I know that I have probably complicated this at some time in my uh, sobriety when I've sponsored other women. You know, I haven't ever used any of the other literature out there, Yeah. but um, I'm sure I have complicated it at some point. 
You know, luckily for me, I think when I, when I first got sober, I didn't have access to the internet. I didn't have access to the phone whenever I wanted. I didn't have access to even other AA members whenever I wanted. So I really couldn't overcomplicate it. You know, yeah. I had a big book. I had a 12 and 12. Uh, I didn't have much other than that. And I had access to religious materials. So, you know, I was able to form a relationship with a higher power with God. And I really had to rely on that. That's, that's all, that's really all I had. I mean, I remember just like laying on my bunk, it being a hundred degrees outside. There's no air conditioning in this prison sitting in count time, just sweating. And I mean, I could have been having like dilute, like legit <laughs> heat stroke, but I just remember thinking, you know, like, if this is what I'm going to do the rest of my life, like I'm happy. I have a relationship with a higher power and I know I'm going to be okay. So it was very, very basic. And I try to remember that now that I've been out of prison for quite some time and I've been sober for a while that, you know, when I try to start overcomplicating things in Alcoholics Anonymous or in my life in general, it j I have, I have too much free time probably. <laughs> and you know, I am trying to know better than God. I'm trying to run the show again. I'm trying to do all of this stuff. And it's not like I sit there and punish myself for it, but it's just like, oh, okay. I just need to move along my day and quit getting so wearing myself out, overthinking things or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Right. I guess, I guess one of the, um, the first pieces of evidence if we've taken step seven would be, are we making amends? Huh? Graham. We're moving on with the program. Sounds like. Yeah. And I, I feel like there's a huge movement in Alcoholics Anonymous as I experience it right now to be good. And sobriety being sober is equated with being good. And, mm -hmm. and, and that is very dangerous for me as an alcoholic because my experience of getting sober, as I said, was all that changed after I did the steps is I wasn't drinking. I was still more or less doing exactly the same things and behaving exactly the same way and treating people in the same shoddy fashion as I was when I was drinking, more or less. I, I mean, I think there was some improvements, but I was still a very, very flawed, sick person. And I spent the first five years in AA trying to be perfect, trying to mm. will these things away that I didn't like about myself because I, there was parts of myself that I hated and I wanted them to go and I couldn't understand why the creator of the universe wouldn't just take those things away because That's they caused right. me so much pain. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize that that is part of the process as much as the good times are part of the process. And I had this sponsor who helped me tremendously. And he said, Graham, this thing is so simple that you could, I almost missed it. Because I, I said to myself, it can't be this simple. God can't just be this simple. And then he would always, he would always say, I would go to him complaining about this defect or whatever you want to call it. It was driving me crazy, this behavior. And he would say, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, sometimes not at all. And he would say, Graham, what if that gets worse? And you're like that for the rest of your life with that thing that's driving you crazy. What, are, are you okay with that? Are you going to be able to stay sober? So I was making conditions around my sobriety. Mm -hmm. These things have to be taken away before I can be happy. God needs to get down here. I've got all these things ready for him to take away yeah. to come back <laughs> right now. And apparently that's not how God works. And if we go back to the 12 and 12, what Bill Wilson seems to be saying is that God is in the pain business. Pain is what happens as I, my claw marks are left on these things that I really can't or won't let go of. And so some of them are just taken. But it took a long time for me to have a second and then I would say a third spiritual bottom and recovery all around this stuff, all around not being perfect, to really start to accept myself as I am, flawed with lots of defects and lots of shortcomings. But you know what? I'm sober. I'm much better than I was and I continue to 
to have hope that my best days yet to come and that whatever God is, is changing me right now in his time, not mine. Yeah. So we don't get to pick and choose which ones we keep and which ones go. And you can pick and choose. It just doesn't work. Doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it seems that all of the, the steps after here are really a constant reminder of that description before the third step in the book that, Hey, we're not the, right. We're not God. We're not the director. We're not the, the, the governor. And that, you know, our job is to, to stop running things and stop controlling things, to trust God more and to live more within the spirit and the flow of life. Um, and we talked a little before the episode, but, you know, we do know that, um, just bring this up for anybody that, that's maybe new that's listening, that um, there's lots of books that people read and, um, you know, there's, there's these checklists and things like that. And I mean, I know groups of folks that, you know, when they get to this, these steps, they've got to call people, a certain amount of people and talk to them about step and seven before their sponsor will let them move on to, to, to step eight. And, you know, they, you got to read the ripple effect before you can move on to step eight. And, that's, I mean, all that stuff might be fine, but it's not necessary to work the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, nor does it really help. Um, it, in my experience is a little more confusing than, than it is helpful. Um, so I don't know if, Shank, you got any experience? Well, I that. think the point is, is, you know, all those other books, fine. If you use all that other literature, it's just not AA. Yeah. So you know, Alcoholics Anonymous is a book, you know, it yeah. is written down and what you do for step six and seven for all of the steps are in that book and everything else additional may be fine, but to kind of parade it around, like, this is what you have to do to be a member of Alcoholics Anonymous or to stay sober or to complete the steps is just like, that's not true. You know, Graham, you said earlier that you didn't know you had the option to relapse when you were first getting sober that, you know, you're like, I didn't know, no, but I didn't hear anyone talk about relapse. I thought that you had to relapse, you know, hmm. like the treatment center I went to, they were talking about like relapse as a part of recovery or some crap like that. And, you know, so it's, I, I always find it interesting hearing kind of the opposite of my experience, but it's still being the same of like, I had this skewed idea of what it was I was going to do. And so I think for step six and seven specifically, you know, it's, I kind of had this skewed idea of what I needed to do or how it needed to look or this, you know, uh, graduate level AA like well, right. when I get sober enough, then I get to do this other part of six and seven. And, you know, that just, that did not do anything for me except confuse me. Yeah. That's kind of what it implies. Like it's some graduate level or, or, you know, next, next level thing. And I'm curious, did they, did you come out of that treatment with any like relapse prevention uh, strategies? Oh yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> even though I didn't have a driver's license, it was like, don't drive past the liquor store you used to buy oh, yeah. alcohol at. Don't sit on your back porch to smoke cigarettes. Cause that's where you drank and you'll drink again. I mean, it was just like crazy. I'm getting all triggered up here. You just talking about it. Triggered <laughs> up. <laughs> Graham, you got any thoughts on any of that outside stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the AA community I'm in, uh, there's really this is the conventional wisdom, is that our co-founder Bill Wilson and the first hundred people who got sober did actually made a big mistake, and the mistake was they didn't really know much about step six and seven, and so oh, they only yes. could write a couple of paragraphs in the book. And we are much smarter than they were back then in olden yep. times in mm -hmm. the 1930s. So uh, we're, we've got these other books written by people and uh, we're going to use them because the people that wrote the book Alcoholics Anonymous clearly they just didn't understand what you need to do to be perfect. 
And and right. for me, that's what this is. It's it's mm-hmm. it, it, it's a road to nowhere, because what it is is it's a bunch of alcoholics. I mean, come on, alcoholics trying to be perfect. It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard in my life. But yeah. yet, that's what I was doing. I thought I had to be good, and if I wasn't mm-hmm. good, I couldn't stay sober. And the, the the guy that saved my life over and again, because I I, I could be good for maybe two days, okay, and yeah. then and third then day's I'm not tough. Good. Right. So th- this wonderful man that saved my life, I would call him up and I would tell him the latest, uh, the latest story of how I'd strayed from being good and perfect. And you know what his reply would be? When was the last time you went to a meeting? Uh, how many people are you sponsoring? What's your prayer and meditation life like? Yeah. So his job really was not to say, oh, you terrible person, how could you? His job was to direct me back to the solution. And the solution for me is to take these spiritual actions in AA that are completely unrelated to my character defects. They really got nothing to do with that at all. And if I just keep doing those things, especially helping other people in AA to get sober and stay sober, then what happens over time, like we keep saying, is that whatever God is, does the changing over time. Or maybe not. Those parts, they don't get changed. So... I, again, it, it it vexes me. I'm I'm I resigned from the AA program police. Yeah. About 10, 12 years ago. Okay. About that that incident I told you about. Round about that time, I put down my badge. I turned my badge in, and I just really tried to practice live and let live. And these people in the AA community, I love many of them. They're good friends of mine. So I I don't wish to say that what they're doing is wrong. But what they're doing with this uh, confusion and complication of steps in general is really not what's in our basic text. And the basic text is what's borne out to help people consistently. I mean, this is a guaranteed program of action. This isn't a game of lotto where... God That's loves right. Shank, so Shank gets to stay sober. God gets keeps Graham sober for 25 years and then smites him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, is that what we're talking about? Come on. Yeah. So I, I, uh, it, it vexes me when new people are told that this is the program of Alcoholics Anonymous because it just simply isn't. I don't, I don't care what you say. It's not. It's not AA conference approved literature. And uh, so, so I'm very wary about promoting that to other people in AA. I don't, I, I've got some bookshelves behind me with probably a hundred books about spirituality and all different things that I've been interested in over the years. I'm not sticking that under people's noses yep. in AA and saying, this is AA. Yep. So, so I don't understand why that's now become mainstream thought in the AA community that I'm in is that steps six and seven are very difficult. And you really have to work hard on yourself. It doesn't make sense. No. It almost seems like, and I, I've had an idea to do an episode on this in season two once we get through the steps, but that that type of stuff, it, it really seems like it just drags a person's recovery out. It just it drags them out from actually being free and coming to a real relationship with a power greater than themselves. It's like it's just it's like a road, more of a roadblock than it is a, you know, a, a fast lane. I mean, it's, it's, I, I don't know why, where, and I've often wondered why, why don't, so people that want to use outside stuff and bring outside stuff in that's really unrelated, why don't they just go start their own organization? Right. I mean, go start your own program. Don't come in here and ruin this program. This program is simple and basic and it's a path to freedom. And you want to complicate it. That's right. Yeah, stay somewhere else. <laughs> right, Shank? Well, yeah. I mean, I just think that there are a lot of things in AA, you know, over the past few years, I'm just kind of like, well, am I getting older? I mean, yes, these things are true. But it's like, am I getting older? Am I changing? Is the world changing? Is AA changing? And it's probably a combination of all of those things. But there are so many things in Alcoholics Anonymous that 
I don't know. I just feel like are different now. You know, when someone gets up to tell their, give a talk, they give their life story and it's not your life story. You know, it's the story of how you came to a relationship with your creator, with God. And, you know, there are so many things that I'm just like, how do, how have we gotten so off the mark here? And Hey, I have bookshelves full of all kinds of literature, spiritual, non, you know, A approved, non A approved. But when I'm taking someone through the steps, I use the big book, you know, and like, I'm not supposed to care what someone else's conception is. So why would I try to form that for them? I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. We could talk about this all day. Yeah, we're going to have to have an episode on it. I I like Graham's analogy earlier about we're trying to, people think they got to be good and we're trying to make people like be good. And that's, that's, that's not, well, that's absolutely. Not what it's about. And that yeah. makes me think too, like, you know, I, I don't like everyone in AA. So what I have, so we all join AA and we're all good. Now I have to like everyone in AA. I have to love everyone in AA. Like, I don't. No. I don't, you know, like I will help you if you call me. That's right. If you call me and you're having trouble staying away from a drink or you need to go to detox or what, I will take you there, but I don't have to like you, you know? Yeah. And, 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 you know, on this topic, while you're talking about this, something that I've heard more and more in the local meetings is people claiming to be blessed. So (sighs) when I'm sitting in an AA meeting, okay, so, so just, just indulge me for a second. I'm sitting in an AA meeting. And my son almost died, and he had a horrible seizure today. And um, things are not going good at work, and I'm maybe going to lose my job. And I, I, I'm just very, very in a lot of pain, and I'm very unhappy right now. And my life really doesn't seem to be going well. I'm, I'm struggling with my faith with God because I'm thinking, why would God do something like this to me? I've, I've been a good boy in AA for years, and then you come into this meeting. And you sit there and tell me how blessed you are. This is why I start thinking. I think, well, he's blessed and she's blessed and they're all blessed. And then there's me. I'm not mm-hmm. blessed. I'm being punished. And then the next thing you know, if you've got a mind like mine, I can start to use that to say, AA is not working for me. It's working for all of them. They're all blessed. But me, look at my life. It's difficult. And and I, so I think there's a lot of outside things from religion and other and other uh, like psychology coming into mm-hmm. AA like you guys said and I'm lucky because I have a sponsor and I have friends in AA who I can take that stuff to and they can I guess set me back on the right path and just say oh you yeah. know whatever blessed smashed whatever Graham but, you are speaking my language shank, man shank, I know I knew he was yeah <laughs> But no, no, you know, it's, it's like, come on, you, 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 you're killing me. Be blessed when you go to church. And AA, I need you to be real. I need you to be mm. honest. And I need you to be non-judgmental. Because I'm not good all the time. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. I'm just yeah. not. And I don't think I ever will be. Yeah. Yeah, Shank had the similar experience when she first got sober. She heard all these people that, you know, all their charges got dropped just because they went to a few meetings and they threw <laughs> a book at her and put her in prison. Yep. But it's it's a very good point. I complain about that still to this day, you know, which now it's less of a resentment and more of just an acknowledgement, like, okay, here's another person saying that. But still, you know, people say I came into AA and I started working the steps and I got a relationship with God and my 35 felony charges went away. And I'm like, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Like I was doing everything right also. So what? God doesn't love me as much as you because I had to go to prison. No, you know? Yeah. Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. Y'all want to move on to meeting shrapnel? Let's hit it. What do we got first, Shank? All right. Meeting shrapnel. Number one, Graham, my disease made me do it. Mm. My disease. What, what disease would that be? <laughs> so, I mean, the first thing I've got to say to that is our literature doesn't talk about a disease. It talks about an illness. And I don't know if that's important, but maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe it's not. So, uh, 
this idea that my disease is separate from me, uh, the book says that disease centers in my mind. So I, I might be wrong, but I think my mind is inside my head somewhere. That's typically where humans think it is. So this idea that I am uh, some poor victim, that at any moment could be see this disease that's outside doing push-ups or it's in the bushes hiding, it could leap on me, take me over like some kind of demon and get me to do something I don't want to do, like drink or drive a car into a crowd of people or just something crazy. You know, yeah. it, it's, it's really absurd. And what I've found over the years is when people are saying that, it's usually a yet another way that the alcoholic has found to avoid responsibility, taking responsibility for one's own actions, especially bad actions, as other people might perceive them. Usually people say that when, I mean, for a long time in AA, my morals, this is after I got sober, my morals operated at the level of, can I get away with this? Mm -hmm. And that was really my moral code. Can I get away with this? Is anyone going <laughs> to see me do this? Especially right. people in AA, because I want to look good to them. Uh -huh. So. Yeah, my disease is outside doing push-ups in the parking lot. It's it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. And uh, I, it must have come from some treatment center, but it's dangerous. For me, that idea how I have no power over that disease and, and it's just going to get me, you know? And, and again, it is a guaranteed program of action. It's not a lotto. It's not a game of chance. If anybody with alcoholism comes to AA and does these actions, then the result is that they can be recovered from alcoholism. Yeah. I've seen it with my own eyes. What do you think, Jay Wayne? Well, you know my thoughts on this one. This is probably uh, my my least favorite. I I mean I we we I think we may have covered this on episode one with just me and you, but yeah, I mean. The book never calls alcoholism a disease. There actually, I've, I meant to bring a copy of it, but there's a, there's a letter that Bill Wilson wrote years ago on why he never called the illness a disease. And so he explains it, that he, he never referred to alcoholism personally as a disease. Uh, I won't bore you with that, but, um, I mean, disease implies that you can take a pill or have a procedure and fix it, right? You can talk to to current medical folks, they, they're never taught that alcoholism is a disease in any of their classes. They are, they do call it a disorder. So, I mean, the idea that we're dealing with some kind of disease just is, is, is just ludicrous to me. I, I think it's, it was really popular when I got sober for people to say it. I think it came right out of a treatment center. And to me, it's just an excuse people use for their own selfishness and self-centeredness. They use it uh, as an excuse for inappropriate behavior and they use it, you know, just as a, uh, I mean, I, th I think we should completely and utterly scrap it. But Shank, you got any thoughts on it? Listen, I don't really care. Yeah. You know, when I, I don't care if is alcoholism, alcoholism, a disease. Okay. Is it not okay? Either way, I still have it. And either way, I still have the solution. So I don't know. When I was in treatment, they told me a lot of things. Chalk Talks, Father Martin, charts of the body, how drugs and alcohol break down in your body and brain and all. That was all fine. It was thank you for the information. You know, like I have the solution and it's the book yeah. Alcoholics Anonymous. So to me, it just doesn't just doesn't really make a big difference scrap it get it out of here scrap it graham what do you think did your disease make you do it i think it's uh it's a vulgar display of ego and it has to be scrapped all right it's out of here it's out of here what's the next one shank all right next shrapnel I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. What y'all think? <laughs> uh, Graham? Well, I guess to some extent, 
like now a keep lot in mind, them. you can like these if you want to. Yeah, yeah. I, to yeah. some extent, there's a there's a kernel of truth in it, right? Because we've just been talking about how pain is the touchstone of spiritual growth, and and how pain seems to be a necessary element in me being changed, me being willing to bringing me to a willingness to change, being changed. So I understand this idea that. You know, I get to a point where I've just had enough. And so I guess you could call my whatever it was that happened to me when I woke up on the floor that day and, and had those feelings like I was always going to be like this. And then after that, I never wanted to drink again. You know, was I sick and tired of being sick and tired? I don't know. But but the problem I have with it. So, so that's the truth in it for me is that, yeah, I was in a lot of pain and I was sick of it. Right. But the problem for me is that it implies that I have a say in this. Like I'm gonna get to a point, so maybe I kill two people yeah. with a vehicle, okay? Or I get 70, but somehow I get to some point and then it's like, okay, I'm deciding now that I am going to get sober. And that seems to me absolutely not what happened to me at all. It, 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 so it seems like it's a way of telling people that if they relapse again, or if they somehow screw up again, they just weren't sick enough. And they need to go even further, I guess, until they get to a point when they're like, okay, well now I'm sick enough and I'm tired of it. And now I mean business and I'm, gosh golly, I'm gonna get sober, gee whiz. Yeah, yeah. Shank, what do you think? I don't know. Once again, like this is one of the ones that I just don't like really care that much about. Uh, when I got sober, I did um, hit two people with a vehicle and almost killed them. And mm -hmm. I know that that's not why I got sober. You know, like it wasn't that that wasn't going to keep me sober. It was explained to me when I arrived in Alcoholics Anonymous that like plenty of people do stuff like that and drink again like consequences don't get you sober um was i sick and tired of my life yeah of course i was you know um i don't know i think i could go either way on this one i do like how debbie pointed out in our last episode that you know is it harmful so that's kind of like well, a good kind of baseline yeah but if we go by that I heard her when she said that, but if we go by that, you could argue none of them are harmful, or all of them. <laughs> we've got, but, but we've got some. We've got some people in the audience that, if you use it, I mean, if they if they, if they like it, then they're saying it helped them. Then I don't know where we would go with that. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't. I'm I'm kind of neutral on it. I I've never. I don't think I've ever used it, and I know the day that I got sober. I mean, I guess I was tired of my life and sick, but I, I had legitimately been worse off before that. Well, and to the point yeah. of everything we've talked about this entire episode, I didn't get sober and then my life got better forever and I'm perfect and deemed white as snow and now nothing bad ever happens. So like, yeah, I could be yeah. sick and tired of being sick and tired and then still be sick and tired tomorrow after I've done the seventh step. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think technically things got worse after I got sober. Mm -hmm. I mean, but so, um, it's a popular one though. You hear it all the time, especially in club clubhouse. Joe says it all the time. <laughs> I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm tired of the high cost of low living. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And then we're going to recover out loud. <laughs> I don't know. What, do you, what are you, are you keeping it or scrapping it, Graham? You know, I put this in the same bucket as it's a talking illness and all that stuff. And I'm just like, this is nonsense. What are these people talking about? So I think they should get rid of it. It should be banned. Banned. Ooh, mm. we're not just scrapping it. We're banning it. Nice. What are you going to do, Shank? I'm banning it. I like <laughs> right. that. It's out of here. Banned. Scrap. 
<laughs> All right. So the next one. All right. The last one today is being an egomaniac with an inferiority complex. <laughs> wow. Let me get my dictionary out. What? <laughs> <laughs> Graham, so, you're on a roll, brother. Let's see what you got. Well, I think like we talked about before, maybe it was before we started recording, the the simplicity of the AA program for me is that I, I, I come to the table, uh, the type of alcoholic I am is that I am not happy and I do not have peace of mind when I'm sober. That, that's what I'm bringing to the table. I'm very unhappy, malcontent, unpeaceful person when I'm not drunk. And when I'm drunk, I'm a blackout maniac. So that's what I'm bringing to the party. So I sober up and then there's this really simple program as explained to me by my sponsor and as outlined in our book, which is really a way for me to develop a relationship with whatever power I, I believe in. It doesn't have to be God. It can be whatever, really, you know, it can be a higher self, whatever. And then, but what my mind loves, my mind loves to complicate things. I, I, I'm cursed with this mind that is never satisfied with simple things. It has to be more complicated than this. So this phrase feeds into that. And all those terms, like egomaniac, that's like a, there's a whole body of literature and psychology about that, probably thousands, maybe tens mm -hmm. of thousands of articles written about egomania and what that might be. And I'm supposed to know what that means. And the newcomer's supposed to know what that means. And then inferiority complex is the same. It's it's not it's not a throwaway term. Like if I say sofa, everyone knows what a sofa is, right? It's a thing right. you sit on. If I say egomaniac, does anybody even know what that is? What does it mean? Right. I'm saying this to people and they're like, oh, yeah, me too, me too. And I hear this in my home group a lot, actually. <laughs> Some of the newcomers saying this at the home group because they heard it in our meeting and it sounds good. And a lot of these phrases are just based on ignorance. I don't think people are deliberately trying to screw people over in AA, but it's this idea that, oh, that sounded good. It makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. So an egomaniac with an inferiority complex, it seems to me that it's all this uh, Freudian complexes that our co-founder, Dr. Bob, warned us against in his last talk. He said, let's not louse this thing up mm -hmm. with Freudian complexes that may be of interest to the academic mind. But what we do here in AA can be boiled down to two things, love and service. And we all know what love is, and we all know what service is. Well, I don't know. That, I don't know that much more needs to be said about that. Ditto. Shank, what do you think? Hey. <laughs> I agree with all of that. You know, um, yeah. I'm not a dumb person, but I'm not <laughs> classically educated either. So this just seems like a lot of stuff to try to sound important and sound smart. And, you know, um, I don't see the need for it. I just don't see yeah. the need for it. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's goofy to me. I, I, and I don't know what it means. I, I don't know what an egomaniac is. And certainly when I was new, I would have had no idea what any of that meant. Um, so it is, it is pretty Freudian, Graham, to, to use your term. And it's not in the, the, the spirit of keeping things simple, but you hear it a lot all the time. I think people are just parroting what they heard somebody else say, right? They don't probably don't even know what it means, but yeah, I mean, I'm an egomaniac with an inferior complex. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What? Okay. Good job, brother. Work the steps and shank. Scrap it. It's out of here. Scrap it. That's it. All right. Graham, we have thoroughly enjoyed having you on the show today. We appreciate your, uh, your experience and your insight into things. 
And remember, because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps, we're free today. Freedom. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you have a comment, suggestion, or just need help, you can email Shank and Wayne at freedom at alcoholicsalive.com. Remember, we're recovered members of Alcoholics Anonymous, but we do not speak for Alcoholics Anonymous, nor do we get paid. Join us next week for another great episode.